Thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness to us, for bringing us through these holidays um, to this day of worship with you and, and in this place in your church. And we praise you, God, for all of your good gifts. We praise you, God, for all gifts that you've brought us that teach us and lead us and grow us closer to you. Jesus, right now I ask that through the power of your Holy Spirit, we would engage with your story in a fresh and a new way, and we would grow closer to you and create more of your kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. All right, I did a Google search for the word Christmas. That's what you do when you're a pastor, and you're like, what am I going to talk about? And I'm just joking. Um, And I searched, and these were the first things that came up. Now, to be fair, this wasn't the exact first one, but it's one of the first things I think of when I think of the holiday season because those flavors, eggnog and gingerbread and spices, all of those mark how I view Christmas. When I think about Christmas, it's one of my favorite times of year. I think of trees and I think of ornaments and sparkly lights and I think of the smells and the sights and the carols. Now, to be fair, about halfway down the page was this image. So Google was able to sort of enter in a nativity scene into the word Christmas. But when we think about how Christmas is viewed in our community and in even our churches at large, oftentimes we associate it with these images, don't we? And even if we do first associate it with a Christ story, the Christ story often looks like this. And as we went to church on Christmas morning, my daughter got to see Jesus' house, she calls it. And uh, she gets to engage, and then she was like, what's this guy doing? I said, well, he's bringing a present to Jesus. And she was like, I want that. So, you know, we've started the Christmas story off right, like things that we want. (laughs) Things things that we, we have to remember that we need to be receivers of and all of those things in between. And when we tell our Christmas story, it is very much rated G. Uh, When we tell our Christmas story, it's set in a beautiful stage. Uh, When we think about how we gather together as a family, when we think of those scenes, we think of Norman Rockwell-type scenes. And many of us love that. But then, if you're like me, in just a few moments, maybe it takes a day or two after being with family. Maybe it takes only an hour or so of a church service where you start to feel maybe that you're a little uncomfortable in the scene because the scene's just too pretty. The scene may not involve someone like me. It smells too good. It's too beautiful and nice. And then eventually someone will have a fight at the table or someone will make a snide remark or an embarrassing family secret will come up and bring up shame. And then we might have some associations with the Christmas story. We might start to remember that the Christmas story actually starts out with this woman who's going to experience massive shame from her family. And when we start to really look at the Christmas story, we start to look at portions of the story where, can you imagine as a teenager, if you had had to go to your parents and explain an unplanned for, an unexpected coming soon child. For many families, that's not necessarily good news. And for Mary, this young woman, and we don't know exactly all of the details, but we know for sure this came as a shock to her because she said, how shall this be? And we know for sure that it came as a shock to Joseph because he was like, and I'm out. And an angel had to show up and give him specific instructions to stay. 
And we know that he understood the shame of that because it says in our text that he had in mind to divorce her quietly. In part, perhaps, just because of the shame it would have been brought onto himself, maybe his own family, but also in this ancient Middle East covenant-making ceremony. There had already been an exchange of monies or exchange of goods of wealth. There had already been promises of purity made. There had already been an arrangement. And Mary herself could have experienced extreme shame and outcast, if not even physical harm as a result of the story that's being told. And Joseph and his family would have had suffered that shame as well, but would have been able even, according to some sources, potentially reach over and bring back not just the property that had been exchanged, but take half of their property as well for a promise not made good. So all of these things happening, I like this little Lego figure, by the way, Joseph's like, wait, what? No, that can't be. And even if we talk about that, we still then focus on, but Mary was obedient. And she was with child, and she sings this beautiful song, which, by the way, you should read someday because it's very amazing and politically motivated and talks about the toppling of leaders. It's incredible, and she quotes a lot of text. Mary knows the text. But this focus on cleaning up the story distances the story from each one of us. Because each one of us has places in our own lives and in our own households where there's shame, where there's a secret that nobody talks about anymore, where there's something that the family members see but we all decide to turn away from because we just don't quite know how to manage it or deal with that anymore. And maybe as you come to a Bible teaching church, your pastor might pull out the actual real scenarios. Maybe you've gone to Israel with a pastor or two who've walked you into a cave and said, smell this smell. Look at the dung. This is the smell of Christmas, not the pine scent. And maybe you'll find a Lego figure where Joseph's shooing away a rat. You know, so we kind of go, okay, Maybe that's how we'll make the story more real, but it still sits inside this little box and inside this little crush. And once Christmas is over, after we've returned the things that didn't quite fit or that we don't want or tried to re-gift to somebody that is a distant relative who will surely not know that we received that from this other distant relative, the story sort of ends there for most of us, and we don't continue reading. Well, let's continue reading in Matthew 2 today. In the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born, in Bethlehem of Judea, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem asking, Where is the child who's been born king of the Jews? For we have observed his star at its rising and have come to pay him homage. When King Herod heard this, he was frightened, and all Jerusalem with him. And calling together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it has been written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who is to shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called for the wise men and learned from them the exact time when the star had appeared and sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you found him, bring me word so that I may also go and pay him homage. 
When they heard the king, they set out, and there ahead of them went the star that they had seen at its rising, until it stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw that star had stopped, they were overwhelmed with joy. On entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they knelt down and paid him homage. And then opening their treasure chests, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they left for their own country by another road. Now after that they had left, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you. For Herod's about to search for the child to destroy him. And Joseph got up and took the child and his mother by night and went to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet, Out of Egypt I have called my son. When Herod saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, he was infuriated. He sent and killed all the children in and around Bethlehem who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had learned from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what had spoken had been spoken through the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, wailing and loud lamentation. Rachel, weeping for her children, she refused to be comforted because they are no more. The very words of God. Tomorrow in the liturgical calendar is what is known as the Feast of the Innocents. And it remembers the killing of these babies in Bethlehem. This doesn't pop up in our holiday special. (laughs) This doesn't hit our snow globe that we've built around our nativity scene. But Jesus was not born into a snow globe nativity scene. In fact, it's as though... Satan himself is wandering around the globe of that protection around that initial nativity scene, looking for a wormhole to get in to kill this God become king, God become human flesh, a baby who is the king. And when we start to explore the story and we start to look at this particular portion that never hits any of our nativity scenes, we realize that the story is not rated G at all. It hasn't been from the beginning. It never will be. It is very much filled with violence, filled with evil, and filled with disappointment. For all of those women and fathers, those mothers and fathers who lost little ones at the birth of Jesus. This story is messy. And I understand completely why we don't include it in our telling of the Christmas story. Because who wants to tell this face about this face? Who wants to tell our littlest ones among us that at Jesus' birth, that because he was born an evil king with complete madness and insanity, who would die within a short time after Jesus' birth anyway, somehow feels threatened by a tiny baby that he could never ever possibly outlive, even though he's personally killed his sons, personally killed his own wife, has been the most evil ruler of all time, and he reaches into this tiny little village and decides to annihilate the innocents simply out of his being threatened of his own kingdom, his own kingship, even though he's about to die. This kind of evil, this madness exists in the day of Jesus. It's very much rated R madness. 
And in fact, much of our Jesus story is filled with this type of violence. Much of our Jesus story isn't pretty. Much of our Jesus story doesn't fit into a nice, beautiful, pine-scented, gingerbread-filled holiday season. As people who are followers of this Messiah, we should be deeply comforted by this. This story is messy, and this story has room for us. This is why he came. It's a difficult story to tell. In Anne Rice's historical fiction account of how she imagines Christ growing up, and yes, she's the one that wrote the vampire books, and then she had this Jesus moment, she wrote this book, and now I think she's back, and I don't really know. But this book's amazing, and it's very interesting. Um, And some people love it, some people don't, and it's not a full endorsement of the book, I'm just saying. In this book, she actually has imagined that Jesus' family keeps this story about the slaughter of these babies in this tiny village a secret from him for many years. Just like we've actually kept it a secret from all of our Sunday school kids. Right? I'm not sitting down in the two through five-year-old room saying, and then an evil king, right? Horror. Horror. Why would I say such a thing to innocent ones? And yet such things still happen to innocent ones. In her story, she has Jesus asking lots of relatives at different times, so tell me what happened in Bethlehem, and like, we don't talk about it. We're not discussing it. It's not for your ears yet. And you imagine this little boy, who is God himself, but let him be a kid too, fully human and fully divine, growing up and then someday coming to the full knowledge that his birth, his arrival into this world, also brought in at that moment because of an evil king, because of evil in this world, an excuse was made to kill. And how Jesus himself, in his humanity and in his divinity, reconciles the truth of his entire mission, which is that on the cross, joy and suffering meet. Our joy and his suffering, complete violence, And even in his birth, joy and suffering meet our joy. And yet evil will throw about and will gnash its teeth and will try to seek a way into this beautiful story of God becoming king. This still happens today, doesn't it? When we read these stories, when I look at the news today, there's moments in my life where I can think to myself, Wow, has it ever been this bad? And then I remember that Caesar Augustus himself said that he would rather be Herod's pig than his own son. Because he knew that Herod, the king of the Jews, pretending to be a Jew, a half-Jew, an Idumean, wouldn't eat pork, but he was killing his own children. That it would be safer to be a pig in his house. And none of our Christmas carols really come close to this story, do they? Silver bells... Away in a manger, the animals don't even make sound, let alone do anything animal-like. Which, by the way, we don't really know, but the Bible is silent on a lot of these issues. There's not an innkeeper. All of those things that we have in our stories. Let the Bible, let the gospel writers, let Matthew tell the story that needs to be told with all of its mess. There's only one carol that I can find. That is, initially it looks like 
first written sometime in the 13 or 1400s in some portions and then finished by the 1500s and, and then matched with the tune then in Coventry, England. And this is that carol. common Christmas carol. Uh, written from the perspective of three women in Bethlehem singing and part of a Christmas pageant told in England in the 1300s, 1400s, 1500s and following. This story of this evil king that could reach the extension of his power and madness and insanity into a tiny little village and do irreparable harm, changing hearts and minds forever, ripping little ones out of homes and laying generation to waste 
That is a story that we don't tell at Christmas, but it is a story we still live with today. As Assad in Syria celebrates holidays and little ones are taken out of an internet cafe that his forces have just bombed. These stories still exist today. And that is why we absolutely must tell this portion of our Jesus story coming into this world. Because otherwise, we can sit in this world today and despair and think there is so much evil. There's so much lack of good. Sometimes it feels that way. And sometimes we can sit back and think, is this Jesus story real? Because the only part that we ever talk about is this part. Angels showing up and going, woohoo! Right? Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among people of goodwill. And we think that is such an incredible moment where angels show up to shepherds and shepherds become the first worshipers of Jesus. And we put that part in the nativity scene. But just as much as the shepherds being part of our scene, so is this scene of Herod taking out the innocence necessary. Because it is unto this world that a child is born. That it is in this moment, in moments like these, that we still, as people of faith, look at the Jesus story in light of all of today's events, in light of our own lives. In light of the fact that many of us, at many points in time, and particularly at the holidays, and particularly with certain relatives, and particularly um, at work and at the grocery store and at traffic, we often find ourselves sitting in places where we think, what future is there? What is good coming? My life has not turned out the way that I planned it. And yet into this world and even into those big, huge moments that we can look at and say, that is massive evil. And in tiny, small moments where we look in our own lives and we say, do I have any part in this story? It just looks too pretty. It just smells too good. Everyone seems to have it all together. We should remember that in those moments, Jesus himself made himself unto flesh. There are many babies that have grown up to become king, but there are none other than Jesus, that were king and became a baby. And as that infant child, Jesus, God, man, trusted the incarnation, trusted the messiness and complexity of this human experience into the arms of human parents, what if Joseph and Mary hadn't fled to Egypt? What if they hadn't listened to the angel? What if they had thought, I think I was just had a bad hummus the night before and I had this really weird dream and I'm a bit, Egypt's a long way away, I'm sure it would be fine. Jesus' life is that fragile. His moments are that fragile. The mission of God in this world becomes that fragile as a child. And that fragility is often how I still feel about hope in this world, when I look into this world and I see the things that need repair, when I look into my own life and I see the things that need repair, I want to remember the fragility and the good mixed in with the evil, and yet good survived. Truth came to this world, light shone. And what you can't see on the face of my little one as she stands in front of Jesus' house is the best good news of all because on 
this little lip is a crumb of communion bread. Jesus comes into these scenes in our lives and he says, take and eat. This is my body given for you. This is the story. This isn't clean. It's very messy. It's violent. It's difficult. It's painful. It's filled with family members experiencing shame and deep hurt and deep loss, disappointment, sadness over what they thought the future would be. And in all of those moments, Christ shows up. And where joy and suffering meet, that is both his birth and the cross. And then pure joy at the resurrection. And that's what we're all waiting for. Not only the truth of that resurrection that happened 2,000 years ago. We're experiencing that truth now. That he is the resurrection and the life and he lives today. Now. Emboldening us. Empowering us through the spirit. To bring more of his kingdom here on earth. To start to see that when evil rears its head, good people who call upon his name, who claim themselves Christians, little Christ, step into those places of darkness and evil and shine light and shine love and bring hope and relief. This is the Christmas story in all of its mess. And it's what the story is for me too in all of its mess. Christmas is a beautiful time of year. I love it. I love the secular holiday stuff too. I do. It's fun. And it's perfectly made for kids. But don't forget that Christmas is for adults too. It's for all of us. This is a story for us. This is a Messiah for us. Wrapped up in that flesh. And calling us to also be present here in this world as ambassadors, as disciples of Christ. My daughter walks around and says, I'm a Christian. I've taught her well. <laughs> so that's good. And she'll say, Mommy loves Jesus. Daddy loves Jesus. Tabby, her sister, Tabby loves Jesus. I love Jesus. Great. And then I have to tell her, what is a Christian? It's someone who is seeking their very best to be like him, a little Christ. So as we sit in physical darkness, as we walk out into spiritual darkness in this world, as we walk into places in our own lives and in our own hearts where we're feeling like that darkness is there and what good could be there, know that Christ is here, is present in even that darkness, shining that light as he did 2,000 years ago, coming into a very broken and very messed up world just like ours is today. Jesus, we pray right now that the truth of your incarnation, the truth of the good news, that you are here in the midst of darkness, in the midst of evil, in the midst of our difficulties and struggles and shame and tragedy, that this is the truth of your Christmas story. Jesus, we pray right now that we would begin to live into that truth, that we would come to know the fullness of you, Christ, with us. Even now, even here, especially now, especially here in this darkness. Amen. <laughs>